One. When I'm working out, I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer. Jim Calhoun, NASCAR icon Dale Earnhardt Jr. Kirk Herbstreit. Welcome in, everybody. Episode seven seventy of the podcast, yeah. Assuming America, the Air Tour Sports Podcast. It is Friday, September twenty second, two thousand twenty three. People, I hope everybody's doing. Well. I hope everybody is having a great day. By the way, hope you enjoyed the Thursday bonus episode. We talked all these big games. We talked. Bama Ole Miss, Florida State Clemson, Ohio State Notre Dame, Texas A&M, Auburn, on and on and on. And now we have a fun Friday edition for you to wrap the week after yesterday's bonus episode. Because we previewed all the games on Thursday, Friday's show will focus on a few different things. One, what I want to do, an interesting segment. Who has the most at stake on Saturday? In other words, we've done the previews. We've talked about all these games. But what happens if X team loses, Y team loses, and what does it mean for that program, that coach? Because I believe there are five teams that have a ton at stake this weekend. From there, we're going to do something nobody else is doing. We're actually going to talk a little college hoops recruiting, and here's why. Official visits are underway with college football going. So college basketball, these teams are, are having recruits on campus, and there is a lot of buzz behind the scenes. Cooper Flag is headed to UConn this weekend. There's news out of Kentucky. There's news out of Arkansas. There's news out of St. John's. Uh, on and on and on. From there, we'll take a quick break, and we will wrap with where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong. Remember, all of the previews, all of the previews of this loaded week of college football are available on the Thursday bonus episode. If you missed it, go back and check it out. Also, you can follow us along on YouTube as well. And by the way, if you're watching on YouTube, do me a favor, click subscribe, like this video. With that said, there is no more time to waste, so let's get to the topic of the day. And the topic of the day, I know I've said it 37 times already. We did the full preview on Friday, on Thursday. And so what I want to do is go ahead and look at college football this coming Saturday from a slightly different angle. You heard all of my previews and all of my picks yesterday. Today, my question is, who has the most at stake on this mega Saturday where so many big games and big teams are playing, okay? I believe there are five teams that have a ton at stake should they lose, and I want to get to them. Now, before I do, I want to make it clear. This segment is not for everybody, okay? And what I mean by that is not everybody, it's not do or die for everybody this weekend. If Florida State loses at Clemson, they'll be all right. If they win out, they'll be playing for an ACC title and a trip to the college football playoff. Colorado is ahead of schedule, whether you like them or not. Uh, Oregon, if they lose on Saturday, it's not the end of the world for them. Auburn, certainly. Ole Miss, certainly. Those are schools that like they're not expected to win. It's not a big deal. But as I said, I do believe there are five schools that have a ton at stake on Saturday, and I want to go ahead and talk about them. Let's get into it. My number five team with the most at stake on Saturday is, drumroll please, <laughs> The Notre Dame Fighting Irish. Now, to be clear, Notre Dame is not favored in this game. And so if they lose and if it's respectable and if it's 31 to 28 and they lose, that was kind of what we thought, right? Ohio State comes in as a three-point favorite. They're expected to win, whatever. The problem for Notre Dame is what happens if you absolutely get destroyed? After weeks and weeks of guys like me in the media saying Sam Hartman's the difference, they finally have a real quarterback. 
if you get blown out and embarrassed, it is bad for a number of different reasons. One, it just continues to perpetuate the stereotype that Notre Dame doesn't win big games. Here's the thing, though, about that stereotype. It's basically true. I heard Joel Klatt drop this stat earlier in the week. Joel Klatt mentioned this. Do you know that in the last 30 years, Notre Dame is 4-19 and against top 10 teams? That is insanity. Insanity. But it speaks to the fact in these big games, they have not been great. This is why Brian Kelly left. He felt like I'm never going to get the dudes that are going to put me over the top against the Ohio States, the Alabamas, the Clemsons, the whomever. So if you lose this game, you are, it just, and you get blown out. It perpetuates the stereotype of like Notre Dame can't win no matter the circumstances, the right quarterback, home field advantage, Ohio State, maybe on paper looks a little bit down. That'd be bad. I think the other thing you have to consider is this Notre Dame is a team that believes they have a roster built to make the college football playoff. If you lose this game, you can certainly run the table and put yourself in the conversation. The problem becomes that Ohio State will always have that head-to-head as a trump card. So if if it comes down to a one-loss, Ohio State is a Big Ten champ in Notre Dame, Ohio State's going to get in. Also, if Ohio State loses to, say, a Michigan and Ohio State finishes 11-1, they would have the head-to-head win over you as well. So for Notre Dame, I understand that they are not the favorite. If they lose and it's compelling and it's exciting and it's a great game, they'll be okay. The whole season will be ahead of them. But if you get blown out, it is going to be bad, bad, bad news for the Irish going into the second half of their season. Let's keep it going. The number four team with the most to lose on Saturday is, I won't do drum rolls for all of them, I promise, but... It's the Texas A&M Aggies, okay? And so with Texas A&M, they're the only one on this list that I believe, I I don't think their fan base is thinking playoff. I don't think their fan base is thinking anything like that. But when you look at Texas A&M, this feels like a fork in the road game for this team in this specific year. If Texas A&M wins this game, I think Aggies fans should feel really good going for it. If they take care of business at home against an Auburn team that is very much in the early parts of a rebuild under Hugh Freeze, and they win convincingly, you start to look at the schedule and say, you know what? Maybe Miami is better than we thought, but also who on the schedule can't you beat? Maybe LSU on the road late in the year, but Alabama, you play Alabama at home in three weeks. You can't beat the Alabama team that we just saw. You can't beat the Tennessee team that struggled in the swamp last weekend. Now that game's in Neyland Stadium, but you get the point. Is that if you're an Aggie fan and you win this game, you feel really good. The problem is there is the other side of the coin. And if you lose this game, this is the game where I think if Jimbo Fisher were to lose this game, I think it's going to be tough to put together the kind of season that will keep his fans happy and will ultimately keep him the job. Now I understand It's early. I don't want to put too much. He has that huge buyout. It's going to be a lot to get rid of him, okay? But if you lose at home to an Auburn team that is very, very much in a rebuild. We talked about this on the Thursday show. Their starting quarterback is a transfer. I think it's four of their starting offensive linemen are transfers. Two of their top three wide receivers are transfers. You lose to that team at home in year six under Jimbo Fisher? That is a disaster. And then all of a sudden you start looking at that schedule and say, 
if we can't beat a rebuilding Auburn team at home, we're not beating Alabama. We're not winning, frankly, probably, uh, uh, you know, against Ole Miss. We're definitely not winning at LSU. We might not beat Arkansas next week in Jerry World, depending on how Arkansas looks this week. So this is such an important game for Jimbo Fisher. You have to win, and you have to look like a buttoned-up football program. We gave you the offseason to bring in a new offensive coordinator. The defensive coordinator, DJ Durkin, has been there. No excuses. You have to take care of business on Saturday. Number three, in the teams with the most to lose on Saturday, who has the most at stake maybe on Saturday is the more, you know, glasses have full way to look at it. I think it's the Ohio State Buckeyes. And Ohio State, it's kind of the opposite of Notre Dame. You're on the road. Notre Dame's a good team. And maybe Sam Hartman is one of the two or three best quarterbacks in college football. And maybe he wins the Heisman like I picked in the preseason. And if that happens and you play great, but one team has to be better and one team has to win and one team has to lose, then we'll see what happens from there. But if you go and lose this game in embarrassing fashion or even not embarrassing fashion, it could be a bad sign for things to come going forward. Because first of all, at that point, you got to win out. You got to play Penn State at home. You got to play at Michigan. You got to play at Wisconsin. I know Wisconsin isn't playing well. I know Michigan hasn't lit the world on fire without Jim Harbaugh. But at the same time, all of a sudden, that schedule looks way more daunting if you lose. On top of that, backs against the wall, college football playoff. You cannot miss the college football playoff for a second time in three years. But three, and I think this is most important, it continues to perpetuate the stereotype that Ryan Day can't win big games. Now, look, I've had my moments with Ryan Day. I don't think he's terrible, but I do think, you know, like, I don't think he's terrible. I don't think he's on the hot seat. Like, that's not what we're talking about here. But at the same time, what I would say is, if you're Ryan Day and you don't win this game and it's not pretty and you don't have the better quarterback and you're clearly outmanned, this just, again, further perpetuates the stereotype that you can't win big games when the talent on the field is relatively the same. And to be clear with Ryan Day, This is what I said when he lost to Michigan last year. When you're the Ohio State coach, you're not judged. I know he's, what is he, 49 and six or something like that as the head coach, 49 and five, whatever. When you're the Ohio State coach, you're not judged on beating Rutgers and beating Maryland and beating Illinois and beating Iowa. You're judged on what do you do in the big games against the marquee opponents. Well, you have two losses to Michigan in the last two years. You lost at home to Oregon in the regular season. Now, admittedly, you've had some good showings in the college football playoff, including last year, where you probably should have beat Georgia. But you lose this game, especially if it's embarrassing. And I think it does perpetuate that stereotype that Ryan Day is not a big game coach, that he can beat all the teams that he's supposed to do. But when you're the Ohio State coach, you're supposed to beat Michigan, beat everybody, and compete for national championships. And so you lose this game. It becomes the same conversation and it becomes the conversation of like, dude, we, you know, even if like, let me even put it this way. Even if you lose on the road, even if it's close, I think most people will understand, but let's also call a spade a spade here is like you are Ohio state. And, and, and again, I just think it will speak to Ryan day at some point, like when the talent's equal, when you maybe don't have the better quarterback, you can't always have the deck stacked in your favor. At some point, go beat a team that matters. Uh, So this is an important one for Ryan Day. If you lose, the season isn't over. But depending on how you lose, I think it could get ugly. Speaking of get ugly, let's go to number two on the teams with the most at stake this coming weekend. It's the Alabama Crimson Tide. 
and it's really interesting. Listen, we've talked so much about Bama. You don't need me to go through everything that's happened. But it was interesting because I was on uh, the phone. I, I did my radio hit this week with my buddy Ryan Fowler, tied 100.9. And I talked to Ryan, and he kind of just dropped something in passing to me in the conversation. He said, if we lose this game, if Alabama loses to Ole Miss, I don't know what we have to play for other than pride. And this team has shown no pride through three weeks in the season. And so this game is so important for a number of reasons. One, you had people like me that thought Alabama could compete for a national championship. You have people that believe that they're still in the hunt for the SEC title, and they are. But you lose this game, all of a sudden, you're now 0-1 in the SEC, 2-2 overall. You haven't looked good at any point, and there's no, one, there's no real reason for optimism. Again, it's kind of the A&M thing. You lose this game. I don't think anybody feels good that you're beating LSU. I don't think anybody feels good that you're beating AM at AM. And so that's why this one is so important. But two, it could snowball quick in terms of just the negative perception about this program. Not that Nick Saban's terrible or washed up or retiring or whatever, but you have to win and you have to look good because the talent is there. You can't lose this game, not at home, not to Lane freaking Kiffin of all people. Alabama has a lot on the line on Saturday. Finally, number one, in my opinion, of the teams with the most at stake on Saturday. I don't even think it's close. Well, it's close. Top two were by far the closest. It's the Clemson Tigers. Because Clemson, I think there's a few things here. One, it's what we just said about Alabama. You lose this game. You're two and two. By the way, at that point, you'd be 0-2 in the ACC, which means that that even making the ACC championship game would be very hard this year. You're pretty much out of the playoff picture. So there's a lot of pride things at stake. But what it really comes down to is what I talked about on Thursday's preview show. This entire game is an indictment on Dabo Sweeney, the coach, and his way of doing things. We talked about it on Thursday. I'm not going to go through a million different examples. But Dabo Sweeney, more than anybody, is a guy who has refused to use the transfer portal to his advantage. He's just said, we recruit guys. We're not going to recruit over them. What does that say about us? What does that say about our evaluations? If we believe in you, we are going to stick with you through thick and thin. That's a very noble thing. The problem is Dabo Sweeney's job is not to be loyal to a guy that can't hack it and can't cut it and can't get the job done on the field. It's noble. But his job is to put Clemson in the best position to win as many games as possible. And I don't believe he's doing it right now. And I think it's especially, it will be especially jarring if you're at home and specifically against Florida State. Because Florida State's a a program that's taken the opposite approach. They knew they were at a talent deficit. Mike Norvell has tried to recruit high schools, but has really prioritized the portal. And so Jared Verse, they got him out of the portal from Albany. Um, Jordan Travis, their starting quarterback out of the portal from Louisville, Keon Coleman, one of the best wide receivers in college football out of the portal from Michigan state, Johnny Wilson out of the portal from Oregon. So Florida state has taken the exact opposite approach. They come in as a favorite at Clemson and as the team ranked in the top 10, while Clemson isn't ranked at all. And so in my opinion, Clemson has the most at stake on Saturday. You can't lose because it's not just your season. It's not just an ACC title. It is an indictment of the entire way you operate as a program. Clemson with the most at stake this weekend. All right, that's what I'll do. I do want to take a quick break. By the way, again, I'll say it one last time. 
if you missed our preview segments, if you missed our preview segments, what I want you to do is go back and listen to Thursday's show. But what we're going to do is switch gears now. And what we're going to do is go ahead and talk a little college hoops recruiting. Little college hoops recruiting because this is a huge weekend of visits, um, of, of, of news. College hoops recruiting is really starting to pick up. So we're going to take a quick break, talk a little bit about what's going on with Cooper Flag, the number one player in America, Arkansas, Alabama, Kentucky, St. John's, on and on. Quick break. Be right back. All right, everybody. I am back. Gonna be back. Gonna be back. I do want to switch gears and I want to do something a little funky here on the Friday before the biggest college football weekend of the year. I can't believe I'm doing this, but I want to talk a little college hoops for the first time in a while. And I know what some of you say, Taurus, why are you talking college hoops the Friday before the biggest weekend in college football? Well, one, we just did an hour's worth of preview content on Thursday's Aaron Torres pod. So forgive me. If you missed that, go back and check it out. But two, things are finally starting to ramp up again a little bit with college hoops. And for people who don't follow the calendar religiously, September, like mid-August to mid-September is essentially the slowest time of the year on the college hoops calendar. Practice really ramps up in October. The season's from November to March. We have portal season, April, May into June, NBA draft stuff. Portal starts to wind down, you know, right before July. And then you get a lot of these summer tours in July. So so it feels like the College Hoops calendar essentially goes until pretty much mid to late July once the NBA draft wraps, once Peach Jam wraps, things slow down. But it's starting to pick back up because over the last couple of days, two things are happening. One, coaches are allowed to visit high school prospects. So they can visit them at their high school. They can watch practices. They can visit with family. Two, we're getting some recruiting official visits here over the next couple of days that are huge. And so what I want to do in a very rare twist before the biggest Saturday of college football, do a little bit of college hoops recruiting news and notes. By the way, if you missed the college football preview stuff, make sure to go back and check that out on Friday's Aaron Torres pod. This is definitely something a little bit different. All right, let's talk college hoops recruiting. And the big story this weekend is this. Cooper Flagg, the number one high school player in America, starts his official visit tour. I think everybody knows his story by now. We talked about him a lot during the summer. Cooper Flagg was the number one high school player in the class of 2025. Decided to reclassify after Peach Jam, six foot nine, and he really does just about everything. Can handle the ball, distribute, get others involved, protects the rim, all that good stuff. Decides to reclassify, and he has set up three visits over the next couple weeks. Next month, Early October, he will go to Duke and Kansas, but he starts his official visit tour on a beautiful little campus called the University of Connecticut. I am talking about Stores, Connecticut, UConn Huskies reigning national champs. And so I want to talk a little bit about it, but I'll start by saying this and I'll start by being fair. Cooper Flagg, the number one player in America, is on campus at UConn this week. It would still be deemed an upset if he ends up there. We've talked about it all summer, but even before he reclassified, Duke was deemed to be the favorite in his recruitment. Always viewed as a dream school. Uh, he took an unofficial in the summer before he reclassified. We'll take his official visit. And I think most people still think that Duke is the front runner. At the same time, I said it all summer long. Dan Hurley is not a man that is acting as though he has given up on getting this kid to stores. 
One, UConn obviously has a great product to sell, right? But two, Dan Hurley and his staff were at every single one of Cooper Flag's games at Peach Jam, sometimes three, four coaches deep. Um, and there are ties between the Flag family and UConn. As I've told you before, Cooper Flag's uh, mother was a player herself at the University of Maine. She played with the late mother of Donovan Klingon, the current UConn star. So there's family ties there. Um, and obviously there's geographical ties as well. Cooper Flag is playing high school ball at Montverde in Florida, but he's originally from Maine, has most of his family up in that northeast corner of the country. Easy drive for them. They're a close-knit family. And I think UConn's got a shot here. Now, look, do I think they're going to get him? If I had to put in a crystal ball, if I could bet on this in Vegas, I would still take Duke. But again, Dan Hurley is not giving up. And once you get him to campus, anything can happen. I have no doubt Dan Hurley and UConn are going to put their best foot forward this week. Let's keep it going because there is another super marquee official visit this weekend, and that is the number five player in America, Trey Johnson, who is visiting Baylor. Really good player, six foot six, kind of a three level score, long, kind of just a new age like basketball player. Just, just he just has that NBA body, that NBA frame, that NBA look, and he is a guy that I believe, you know, he's got as much upside I believe as anybody in this class. So six foot six, originally from Texas, now plays high school ball at Link Academy in Missouri, but he's visiting Baylor this week. Baylor and Texas are deemed to be the favorites in that recruitment. Where it gets interesting, though, is the why. His dad played at Baylor, but how about this? His dad, one of the assistant coaches at Baylor at the time was Rodney Terry, who is now the head coach at Texas. So Texas and Baylor are deemed to be the favorites. I did find this interesting, though. Trey Johnson told Adam Zagoria last weekend that he still plans on taking two more official visits in October, one to Alabama and one to Arkansas. Why is that interesting? Arkansas recently got a commitment from one of his high school teammates, Jalen Shelley, also of Link Academy. And Eric Musselman this week was at Link Academy watching these two guys play. What I can tell you, Baylor is the favorite. Texas is the favorite. Those two are head and shoulders above everybody else. But I'm starting to hear whispers that Arkansas feels like they're in pretty good shape with this kid. Again, once you get him to campus, anything can happen. Who knows, et cetera. Not trying to oversell it. Don't think anything is anything anywhere close to done. Still think Baylor and Texas are the favorites. But I'm just telling you, Eric Musselman, Arkansas, lying in the weeds. Just be ready on that one. Speaking of Arkansas, really quickly, I did mention Jalen Shelley, six foot nine forward, committed a few weeks ago. Um, really like this kid. You know, listen, the the, the thing about Coach Muss, um, if you follow his teams, he's got a type, right? Super athletic switchable, defends multiple positions, plays really hard. That's exactly who this kid is. Um, not an elite scorer, not an elite playmaker, but if you can, if you play hard and you commit on the defensive end, you will get on the court for Eric Musselman. This is a kid with the size and athleticism to be a day one contributor for Arkansas. I believe that that is what he will be. Jalen Shelley, the first commitment for Arkansas in the class of 2023. Trey Johnson mentioned he's visiting Baylor, but will also visit Alabama and Arkansas over the next couple of weeks. Alabama hosting a five-star guard named Boogie Fland. We'll get to him in a minute because Kentucky's kind of viewed as the favorite along with Indiana for him. But very interesting in that there is a seven-foot player out in California. Prolific prep, about an hour plane ride from where I live. I've been up to Prolific, great school. Kid named Aiden Sherrill, high four-star kid. 
it seems as though he is trending towards Alabama. He's cut his list to four, but Nate Oates was in to see him this week, and it feels as though Alabama may be in the driver's seat to get this kid. Don't know if a decision date has been set, but keep an eye on Alabama there. I'm bouncing around, but a couple quick things before we get out of here that I do want to hit on. One, have you seen my boy, Big Rick Energy, Rick Patino? So Rick Patino crushed the portal this offseason. I have St. John's as a fringe top 25 team, and I think they make the NCAA tournament in year one. But Rick Patino is a developmental coach. He's a guy that still likes to recruit the high school ranks. And over the last couple weeks, he has picked up two marquee commitments in the class of 2024. The first one, Jaden Glover, a top 60 or so player out of New Jersey, six foot six, kind of a guard wing hybrid. And then Kaman Maker, a seven foot center, originally from Africa, who now plays at uh, out in Vegas. Both of these commitments to me are very important for two different reasons. One, from the Jaden Glover perspective, I think that one is important for this reason. I talked about it during the Rick Patino hiring process. If you can get a coach that can lock down the tri-state area, you can win national championships at St. John's. I keep hearing that New York City doesn't produce players like it used to. And listen, I, the players may be in slightly different places. They may be in prep schools as opposed to public schools, but there are players in the tri-state area just in the class of 2023, just the freshman this year in college basketball. DJ Wagner, many believe to be the best guard in high school basketball last year, is at Kentucky from Jersey. Aaron Bradshaw, some believe will be a top 10 pick at Kentucky. He's from Jersey. Mackenzie Mbaco, top 10 player, committed to Duke, decommits at Indiana from Jersey. So there are players in the area, but it's on St. John's to keep them around. Did a good job with Simeon Wilshire, who, of course, was originally committed to North Carolina, flips eventually and ends up at St. John's, asked for uh, you know a release of his letter of intent. And then to start the 2024 class with Jaden Glover, I think this is huge. And he's kind of one of those guys, super long, super athletic. Those are the guys that Rick Pitino develops, which brings me to Kaman Maker, seven-foot center, uh, again, out of Vegas now, now playing high school ball in Vegas. That, to me, is the quintessential Rick Pitino guy, okay? Because the thing about Pitino is Pitino, better than anybody, I think is the best player developer in basketball, at least at the college level, okay? He has taken so many guys that nobody really saw much in and turned them into productive college players and productive NBA players. The most notable one in recent years is certainly Donovan Mitchell, but there was a kid, remember, about seven, eight years ago named Gorgie Jang. I guess it was more than that because he was part of Louisville's national championship team. Lightly recruited, didn't play much his first year. He ended up playing in the NBA for like six, seven years when Patino was done with him. And so I bring it up because... This is a kid that to me, listen, I don't know if he's an NBA prospect, but that is the type of kid that Patino, you won't hear from him for a year. And then year one, year two, you're kind of like, what is it? And then year three or year four, he'll blow up. So I am so excited. But Rick Patino off to a hot start in the class of 2024, including a four-star guard named Jaden Glover. Finally, let me wrap with this. Um, I want to talk Kentucky for a couple of reasons. One, a little bit of a quieter uh, fall for them. It's well noted and well regarded that John Calipari, I think, is a little bit down on the class of 2024. Uh, he's not prioritizing a lot of kids, but there are a couple pieces of news over the last couple of days. Boogie Flan took an official visit last week, six foot three guard out of New York. By the way, another New York City kid 
So he's not going to St. John's, but don't tell me that, that there aren't players in New York. But two, um, one, Boogie Flan took a visit there. He is visiting Bama this week. I have been told it's kind of an Indiana, Kentucky kind of deal for Boogie Fland. So we'll see what happens there. The other one, really interesting. Jaden Quaytons, a seven foot center, reclassified. Really interesting story here. He is a senior this year, but because of his age, is not eligible for the 2025 NBA draft. So he's not going to be a one and done. He has to play two years of college basketball. So it'll be interesting to see what he does, but he is considered a senior, won't be able to leave after one year. Uh, Kentucky was in to see him this week. It feels as though it is a Missouri-Kentucky battle on the college level. I still think G League Ignite, the pro option, is the one that makes sense. I just don't think most high-level players want to play two years of college basketball. Easy to get exposed, easy to um, you know, have a couple down years, easy for people to kind of pick apart your game the longer you're in the spotlight, especially to a place like Kentucky. Uh, you go to G League Ignite, you're off the radar. People watch you, but not like they do at Kentucky. I still think it'll be G League Ignite. I also think there's a possibility maybe he plays one year of college basketball, then goes pro, either in Ignite or overseas. So that is one worth watching. And I want to wrap th this basketball segment. A lot of basketball talk. How about Torres? Out of left field talking basketball. I want to give credit to Cal for one thing. It appears as though the kid Zvonavir Ivicevic, we talked about him a few weeks ago. He's going to end up a Kentucky Wildcat. Okay, so the backstory here, we've talked about it, but seven foot two kid from Croatia. Nobody knows much about him. He declares for the draft last summer out of Europe, um, goes through the draft process, decides to pull out. At that point, I think everybody thinks he's going back overseas, ends up out of nowhere committing to Kentucky. Really good player, really skilled, just a big, big, big recruiting win for Kentucky. Why do I bring it up? Well, about two weeks ago, we talked on the show about the fact that right now, Kentucky's admissions office has not allowed him to enroll. Basically, he hasn't been accepted to school. So it's not an NCA issue. The NCA has cleared him. But the Kentucky admissions office has not admitted him yet. And so it's been an interesting thing. Uh, it trended on Twitter for a few days, free Big Z, all of that. And it looked for a while like he wasn't going to be able to go to Kentucky this year. Well, I give him credit because it feels as though the tides are starting to turn and it feels as though Kentucky is going to figure out a way to get this done. Don't have all the details. Don't know how the admissions process works at Kentucky. But at the same time, um, I just give Cal credit because it appears as though this is another situation where he did not panic. Okay, would have been easy to panic, would have been easy to freak out, would have been easy to curse out whoever. And maybe he did behind the scenes, but he stayed calm publicly. You know, he's kept quiet. With the camp, with the kid, you know, the kid's camp, I should say, my understanding is he's just kind of said, dude, just deep breaths. We're going to get through this. We'll figure it out. You want to be at Kentucky. We're going to make this happen. Um, kind of talk to somebody close to the situation. They don't know much more than anybody else, but it seems as though that was the message to the kid. And I think it's going to get done. So I give Cal credit because I tore him apart during portal season. He kept saying, be patient, be patient, be patient. I tore him apart. He was patient. He got the guys he needed, Trey Mitchell. He got uh, Antonio Reeves back. And then, oh, by the way, uh, I think he, the patience is going to pay off for this Zvonavir Ivicevic kid. So keep an eye on that. Hopefully we get some clarification here in the next day or two. I, I don't, I, I don't want to put a time frame on it, but I think we'll get a clarification sooner rather than later. And right now, it does appear to be trending that he ends up a Kentucky Wildcat. Wow. How about that? 15 minutes of college hoops in the middle of September.
Don't get that very many places, especially with, of course, the quality, incredible college football content that you're already getting. So what we're going to do, take a quick break, come back. We will wrap with America's favorite podcast segment. That is right. Aaron wrong, Aaron right, Aaron wrong. The, the segment that America loves, where I just basically make fun of myself and tell you how many things I got wrong. We'll wrap the show, come back, quick break, be right back. All right, everybody, I am back. Good to be back, good to be back. Final segment of the show, final segment of the week. So good to be back. And I do want to go ahead and wrap with America's favorite podcast segment where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong. By now, you know the concept of the segment. Stole this from my buddy Colin Cowherd. Colin does where Colin was right, where Colin was wrong every week. And I decided to bring it to the Aaron Torres pod for one very simple reason. It is because over the course of a week, a month, a year, five years, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, nobody loves giving out more hot sports takes than your boy Torres. And when I get stuff right, nobody loves telling you about it more than your boy Torres. Torres said this. Torres said that. Should have listened to Torres. Torres, 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 Torres. I never shut up. Just ask my wife. She'll tell you the same. Well, that is why we do where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong. I get to brag about the stuff I got right, but I have to own the stuff I got wrong. And so we do it every single week to wrap our Friday show, the best and worst takes of the week, where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong, where Aaron was right. So in the preseason, Sam Hartman was my Heisman Trophy pick, obviously, to win the Heisman Trophy. Well, Ohio State plays Notre Dame this week, and I am here to tell you, yeah, maybe I should wait until after this game to call myself right on this, but it isn't really about being right on who wins the Heisman and who doesn't. The bottom line is just having Sam Hartman. It is everything that we talked about in the preseason. The fact that Notre Dame has Sam Hartman is the reason that they have a chance to win this game. Why a lot of people believe that an upset will happen Saturday night in South Bend. We've always known that Notre Dame can run the ball. They can recruit offensive linemen. They're pretty good on defense, but they've never had that difference-making quarterback. And win or lose on Saturday night, Sam Hartman is that dude. He has elevated that team. He has elevated that program. And I'm here to tell you, even if they lose on Saturday, I believe they will be favorites in just about every game that they play the rest of the season. Play a bad Clemson team later in the year. Play a good USC team at home later in the year. Sam Hartman is a game changer. I believe he is a program changer, and he is the guy, win or lose on Saturday, that has elevated this entire Notre Dame program. He is the reason that so many people believe that Notre Dame can beat Ohio State on Saturday, where Aaron was wrong. So last week, was co- we were coming off of the Alabama uh, loss to Texas, right? And what I said at the time was I said, are we sure that Alabama's offensive line is that bad? Or is it just that everybody knows that the quarterback that they were playing at the time, Jalen Milrow, just can't really throw the ball very well, especially in the short and intermediary pass game? Well, I bring it up because we all saw the game against South Florida on Saturday, and yeah, the Alabama offensive line is terrible. So terrible, in fact, that they had to go back to Jalen Milrow as their starting quarterback, and I believe they are basically going to run essentially the triple option with Jalen Milrow now as the starting quarterback. That's a little bit of hyperbole, but I believe that Nick Saban realizes I can't throw the football with this offensive line, so I need a quarterback that can run and make plays, and it's, again, because that offensive line stinks. A week ago, I wondered if it was more quarterback, more scheme. No, that group just is not very good. I got to own it. I wouldn't blame them a week ago. I got to blame them right now. Where Aaron was right, 
So I mentioned Alabama, Texas, Alabama losing, but after Texas won, the whole conference is Texas back. And what did I say after that game? I said, Texas, Texas will be back when they go out and not only beat Alabama, they've always been good in big games, good against Oklahoma, good in big bowl games. Texas will be back as a power when they go out and beat the bad teams 30, 38 to 3, 35 to 7, and prove that they are a week in, week out program and not just a program that elevates itself for the big games. Well, what happened last week? Texas, Wyoming, it was a tie game late in the third quarter at 10 to 10. Listen, to Texas's credit, they came back and won. And to Texas's credit, I still think they're a very good football team this year. But at the same time, there is always going to be that lingering thing. We know they'll be great against Bama. We know they'll be great against Oklahoma. We know they'll be great against the best teams on the schedule. But what do they do in those weeks where they are favored by double figures, expected to win by 21, 28, 30, 31, whatever it is? That's the question. That is what is holding back this Texas program and what has continued to hold them back in the past. We'll see if things improve. They're obviously opening Big 12 play. Baylor this week, they got a couple big games before Oklahoma. There is no excuse for them to go into that Oklahoma game undefeated. Got to take care of business. We'll see if they do. Where Aaron was wrong. Whew, this one pains me. In the preseason, I hyped up those UConn Huskies. Jim Mora, get your Mora Hurley tees. UConn went to a bowl game last year. UConn's going to be even better this year. Well, we're three weeks in and UConn is 0-3. Now listen, some of it is they played a good NC State team in week one, but they have changed quarterbacks, and they have lost two games that they probably should have won and easily could have won, Georgia State and Florida International. If you weren't watching, I don't blame you. They were both ugly. But I've tried to defend my Huskies. I tried to hype them up. I tried to be a, a, a strong voice on the national scene, giving my Huskies credit. Just one problem. They haven't done much to help me out, make me look smart. Oh, by the way, this week they have a ranked team coming to Rentschler Field as Duke travels to Connecticut. It could get ugly with Riley Leonard and co. I was dead, dead wrong on my UConn Huskies. Where Aaron was right. Where was I right? I told you in the in the the, the summer, I said the Pac-12, regardless of what's going off on off the field, is going to be really good this year. Well, what ended up happening? We currently have eight Pac-12 teams that are ranked. We have three matchups of ranked teams in the Pac-12, Oregon State at Washington State this week, UCLA at Utah, Oregon hosting Colorado, and oh, by the way, Washington and USC are ranked as well. Listen, it's a shame what happened. I feel awful. I wish that league could have figured out a way to stay together, but we shouldn't take away from the fact that there is really, really good football being played on the West Coast. Now, look. These teams have to get it done in these big games. Somebody has to emerge as a legitimate playoff contender, and we'll see what happens. USC has hardly played the toughest part of its schedule. Uh, Oregon, they really didn't look good in that one marquee game against Texas Tech. So there's still a Colorado, obviously, I think we all expect at some point to take a step back. But I said in the summer, I said, this league is really good. I thought there was there were five teams ranked in the top 20. I thought UCLA should be a sixth. I thought five or six of those teams could go in and win the Big 12, compete in the ACC. I don't care where. Good football, all of that. Credit to the Pac-12. They, I, I don't know. I'm not going to get into the are they better than the SEC conversation, but they are playing really, really good football right now. Where Aaron was wrong. 
liked a lot of the Pac-12 teams. The one I was out out was Washington. And I just said, can you replicate what you did last year? Michael Penix Jr., can he possibly be as good as last year? I didn't think it was possible. Uh, yeah, I was dead wrong. Washington, the number one passing attack in college football, 719 yards of total offense on the road last week against Michigan State. They are awesome, and they right now, listen, everybody's talking USC, everybody's talking Oregon, obviously everybody's talking Colorado. But at the same time, you look at a team that is maybe best built to win the Pac-12 and represent that league in the college football playoff. Remember, they get Oregon at home late in the year. Uh, I believe they don't have to play Colorado. They do have to go to USC, though. But the bottom line remains, I was dead wrong on Washington. They are way, way, way better than I give them credit for. Where Aaron was right. Let's start to wrap the show. A couple quick things. Where Aaron was right. Did you see on Friday, Colorado next week hosts USC. They will get a visit from the number two wide receiver in America, a player named Ryan Wingo. Why is that important? Well, Ryan Wingo was believed to be down to two schools and two schools only. It was either going to be Texas or his home state, Missouri. Then out of nowhere, he ends up wanting to take a visit to Colorado. This speaks to what I have tried to tell you for months with Deion Sanders. I don't know how it's going to all end. I don't know how good they're going to be this year. But the one thing I said, I said, if he's getting five stars at Jackson State, imagine what he's going to do at Colorado, especially if they have any sort of early success. Well, they're having success and recruits are noticing. Last week, they had the number one quarterback in the class of 2025, Bryce Underwood, on campus. They had an Alabama commit named, uh, I'm blanking on the kid's name. It was a four-star defensive lineman. And now the number two wide receiver, a top 10 recruit in the country, wants to go visit Colorado. Listen, again, I can't speak to how this is all going to end. I can't speak to if Deion Sanders will ever build a national championship caliber roster at Colorado, what the ceiling is, how many wins he's going to get. What I do know is as long as he's there with his brand, with the excitement that he's created, recruiting will be through the roof. And finally, where Aaron was wrong. So let's go to the NFL really quick because my Super Bowl pick in the preseason was Eagles over the Cincinnati Bengals. Well, the Eagles are 2-0, but they look awful. Barely survived on Thursday night football last week against the Vikings. The Cincinnati Bengals are 0-2, and Joe Burrow appears to be hurt. Not a great start for my preseason Super Bowl pick, but hey, there's plenty of time left. Maybe the Eagles figure it out. Joe Burrow and Cincinnati, of course, started 0-2 last year, so we'll see what happens, but not looking like my strongest pick. All right, I think that's it for this episode of the Aerator Sports Podcast. I do think it's time for me to get out of here. First of all, I want to thank everybody for your support all week and really all month. Football has been off to a rip-roaring start. Podcast numbers are up from last year. YouTube is through the roof right now. The college football betting show is taking off. So thank all of you for your support. Uh, cannot do it without all of you and really do appreciate it. If you're not subscribed to the shows, make sure to subscribe to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast on Apple, on Spotify. If you're watching on YouTube, click that subscribe button, like that video, help your boy out. All of this stuff really does help. Leave a rating and review on Apple if you could as well. Uh, but yeah, make sure you're subscribed. Make sure you're following on social media at Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter at Aaron Torres pod on Instagram. By the way, the kids started a TikTok page, Aaron Torres pod on TikTok. Go ahead. Find me there. It's awesome. It's great. It's more Torres on a new platform. What more could you ask for? I don't know. Anyway, make sure you're following on social media. 
Make sure you're subscribed. And oh, by the way, just go and enjoy some freaking football this weekend. Notre Dame, Ohio State, Texas A&M, Auburn, Alabama, Ole Miss, Colorado, Oregon. Uh, what's the big one I missed? Florida State, Clemson. So many good games. It's a great weekend of college football, and I cannot wait to watch, and I cannot wait to react to it on Monday. By the way, Monday's show might be three hours long, so just be prepared, okay? Time for me to get out of here. Shout out to Torn Craig. Shout out to Rachel, who hates my voice. Shout out to JJ Reddick, you F-head. Unblock me, bro. Unblock me. I'll be back on Monday, and we are going to have a ton to talk about. New episode of the Aaron Torres Pod. Enjoy the weekend, everyone.